0: Well, good morning, Bay Shore, and so good to have you joining with us today in such a great opportunity we have together online. Together, we have people from all of our community listening right now, and we are just absolutely thrilled that so many people are tuning in. I got a great text today from a guy named Frank in Berlin, and uh, was telling me he listens to all the messages online. And just uh, want to say hello to you, Frank in Berlin. It's good to see everybody here today. I know that uh, we're all tuned in in different venues, but we're so glad that you're part. Part of today's service. I wanted to mention to you next Sunday is Palm Sunday and one Sunday before Easter, next Sunday. And what we're going to do next Sunday is at the end of the message, uh, we're going to have communion together all through our community. So what we'd like for you to do um, this week is to make sure you get some bread, doesn't matter what kind of bread it is, and get some grape juice and have it all ready uh, before the service next Sunday. And at the end of the service next Sunday, all over the community uh, in Fenwick Isle, Millsboro, Georgetown, Salisbury, Ocean City, wherever you are, we're going to take communion collectively next Sunday. So I want you to get ready for that, and I'll remind you at the beginning of the service next week, but make sure this week you get your uh, communion elements ready, and I will lead us all in communion next Sunday as we get ready for Good Friday and start uh, the Easter season. So today we're in a, a, a talk today that's uh, going to be one of those stories that happened right before Jesus uh, went to the cross and was resurrected. These are stories of what we call preludes to Easter. And so today, this is one of my very favorite stories. This is a story about the woman that anointed the head of Jesus uh, at a special party that was held in his honor. And it's found in Mark chapter 14. It's also in Matthew chapter 26 and also uh, John chapter 12. But I'm going to read Mark's version and then we'll be referring a little bit to John's version because it fills in some details that are very important. Uh, Mark 14 uh, verses 3 through 9 says this, "Uh, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came The poor you always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body before the, and to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whatever the, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she's done will be told in memory of her. Then a little bit of John chapter 12, uh, in beginning at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume." This is one of those great prelude to Easter stories, and this is one of my favorite stories in the whole uh, New Testament, all the Gospels. I love this story. It happened two days before uh, before Jesus went to the cross, two days before the Passover. Uh, John says it was six days, but that really is talking about when Jesus first uh, r- uh, arrived in Bethany. He was there for a little while before this party was given in his honor. But the Bible says that there was a in in Mark's version, it says that uh, a. Party party was given for Jesus at Simon the leper's house. And uh, we know that uh, Simon the leper was there. We know that also Lazarus was there and Martha and Mary were there. And uh, we don't know who else is there, but it says in John's version that this was a party given in Jesus' honor. And this is an incredible story. First of all, I want you to notice something very, very important. Uh, The Bible says in Mark chapter 14 that it was at the house of Simon the leper. Simon the leper. Now let's just think about that a little bit. If you're a leper, uh, nobody's going to come to your house for any kind of party. But the Bible says here that uh, that Simon was a leper. That was named. His name was Simon the leper. That was his nickname. Evidently, this was somebody that Jesus had healed and had been uh, cleansed by Jesus. And this was a guy that had a miracle story. And this party was held at his house because lepers in those days. You know, if you were a current leper, uh, the Bible says that there were uh, social distancing things that were in place. You know, social distancing is not something that is new. It's something that would, went way back to the Old Testament in Leviticus 13. If there was somebody that had leprosy, they had to live outside the camp. They couldn't be uh, involved with other people. They had to be especially uh, uh, quarantined. And, and so we sort of understand that is what we're going through this current crisis where people are practicing social distancing. But in, the, uh, in, in Bible times, lepers, in fact, they had to be, if they were anywhere near people, they had to be a certain distance away, which sounds very familiar to us today. And they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. There's a story where Jesus healed 10 lepers and the Bible says they, they were at a distance from Jesus. So basically what we have to remember is if you were a leper, you could not be around other people. You couldn't be socializing with other people. You couldn't, in fact, it was believed uh, to breathe the same air, uh, to be uh, around a person that had leprosy, that you could contract leprosy just by the air around a leper. So this man, Simon, evidently used to be a leper, but he got healed. He got healed by Jesus, and he's holding a party in honor of Jesus. That's an incredible little story. And I think uh, that's so relevant today as we're going through uh, the COVID-19 crisis, as we think about that and and all of that and all the numbers that are so important to us. Uh, You know, we need to watch and be very careful and social distancing and be very careful about how we interact as we go through this, and we're all going to get through this. But, you know, I heard a number this week that I hadn't heard before. And all these numbers are important. How many people uh, worldwide have uh, uh, COVID-19 and uh, how many people in different countries and all that. But here's a number that we don't hear a lot. 102,000. 102,000. What does that number mean? 102,000 represents the number of people that have had the coronavirus and are now better they're now better. 102,000 people. That's a great number. And you think about, uh, you think about uh, this situation with Simon the leper. He used to be a leper. But now he's not a leper anymore. Now, here's what I think. I think that this is just a guess, and I don't have any biblical evidence to support this. But the Bible says, if you read John's version, this was a a dinner given in honor of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The party is for Jesus. And I just wonder if Simon is given a party on the anniversary of when he was healed from leprosy. Now, I can't prove that, but I wonder if during the dinner, Simon the leper stood up And he gave a toast to Jesus and he said, one year ago, one year ago, Jesus healed me of leprosy. Or two years ago, Jesus healed me of leprosy. And he remembered that moment and it was a celebration of Jesus healing him. And I just want to just speak uh, just words of faith right now to everybody that's listening. I believe that there's going to be many, many people healed uh, during this time and what people are going through and with the virus that we're all facing. And so 102,000 people are already through this, and I believe God's going to continue to help people uh, in the midst of this. But the Bible says that Simon gave a party, and I just wonder, I just wonder if it was a party celebrating when Jesus healed him. And maybe Simon stood up, I have an announcement to make. And everybody got quiet. And there's Jesus. And there's everybody there. And he just kind of raised up his glass. And he said, one year ago, Jesus healed me of leprosy. And he's remembering that. You know, it's very, very important that we go back and we celebrate those great moments in our life when Jesus did something special for us. Now, uh, it's March, the month of March, and I think, uh, you know, uh, next week will be March 30th. And uh, March 30th is a special day for me. March 30th, 1969, when I was 12 years old, I met Jesus. I met Jesus, and that was 51 years ago. 51 years ago, as a 12-year-old boy... I met Jesus and I found Jesus and he became my savior. And so I wonder if it would be really cool sometimes is we always celebrate our, our, our birthdays and you know and we have all these parties when we were physically born and really, you know, we didn't do anything to be physically born. We probably should hold a party for our mother. She's the one that did all the work. But, uh, you know, I wonder if we should have uh, birthday parties to represent our spiritual rebirth. And if you're listening to me right now online, how about if you just like kind of text in right now, how many years ago it was that you found Jesus and you met the Lord, if you're a Christian? Remember that birthday. Remember that moment. And so Simon is holding this party, and I wonder if he's just celebrating This moment when he was healed of leprosy. So we know that Simon's there. Simon the leper who used to be a leper. He used to be a leper. Then we know from John's gospel that Lazarus is there. Now, Lazarus' story is pretty cool. Lazarus was raised from the dead in John chapter 11. And the Bible says in John chapter 12, when the story is rehearsed in John, that many people came to see Lazarus because he had been raised from the dead. So let's think about this party. What an eclectic group we have. We have Simon that used to be a leper, he's sitting at the table, you know, reclining at the table. They kind of leaned on uh, cushions, and they, uh, that's how they were, uh, were situated. You got a leper that used to be a leper. You got somebody that's healed, and then you got a man that was raised from the dead. Think about that. Think about that. You've got what a party. What, you know, there's going to be a lot of conversation at that party because you got a former leper, and now you have a man that was raised from the dead. And you know what I think a, a church service should be, and we're all looking forward to getting back to back together in person at some point. You know what a church service is? A church service is a party put on by people that have been changed by Jesus. A church service is a party put on by people that have been changed. By Jesus. How about that? You know, hey, listen, our church services ought to be parties. They ought to be parties. We ought to be celebrating. I know sometimes people think churches are so boring that it's sort of like, you know, churches are like a funeral. It's like a, you know, just a sad place. But I'm here to tell you, every church service is supposed to be a party of people that have been changed by Jesus. Think about this party. You got Simon, used to be a leopard. You got leper. You got uh you got Lazarus, who was dead. for four days and he's raised to life. And here's what a church service is. A church service is a party given by people that have been changed by Jesus. When I think about, you know, I'm preaching here in our auditorium where we have church in the Millsboro campus, and, and I can just, even though you guys aren't here, I can see some of you. I can see you in these chairs. And what I see in these chairs is I see people, I see Deborah on this side that used to be a drug addict, and she's been set free by Jesus. She's been uh, delivered by Jesus. I see people, a guy on the stage here that used to be an atheist. He was, uh, didn't believe in God at all, and he met Jesus. I know at the Rehoboth campus, there's two gentlemen that I know very well that used to be atheist, and now they're born again, and they love Jesus, and they know Jesus. And so a church service is filled with people that used to be, you know, a drunkard, that used to be uh, filled with depression, that used to be self-centered, that used to be narcissistic, and they are changed by Jesus. So a church service is like this party that we see. It's put on by people that have been changed by Jesus. A church service is a service to honor Jesus put on by people that have been changed by him. So I love this story when you think about that. You know, the Bible says in um, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that uh, that that it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11, or do you, know, do you not know uh, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves nor the greedy, nor drunkard, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were. Hey, you know what church is? Church is made up a bunch of people that used to be we're a bunch of used to be's. Used to be. I used to be an atheist. I used to be a drunkard. I used to be a person that was self centered. I used to be a sex addict. I used to be somebody that had been in bondage to sin. And so we see it this wonderful little story where uh, Jesus is, uh, the party is given in his honor by Simon the leper and Lazarus, and we see God doing great things. How about Lazarus, by the way, raised from the dead? You know what it says in Ephesians? That we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins, but we've been made alive in the Spirit by Christ Jesus. So that's the, that's the beginning of the story here. And then we see something happen in the middle of this party. We see a woman stand up. A woman stand up, and she takes a, uh, she takes a veil, a vial of ointment And she takes it, and uh, we know from John's gospel who it is. Mark doesn't tell us who it is, but John's gospel said it was Mary, that gal that sat at the feet of Jesus. And here's something very interesting. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but what's very interesting is Mary discerned, Mary discerned, that Jesus was going to go to the cross and he was going to be buried. She was the one person that got it because it says in the text that she anointed Jesus for his burial. He, she understood. You know, the Bible says in Psalms that the secret things belong to those that fear the Lord. The secret things belong to those that fear the Lord. There's a few people in the church, there's a few people that follow Jesus that are so close to him that they have this revelation about what is going to happen. And the Bible says that Mary takes this uh, this vial of ointment, and we know it's very expensive ointment. It's, it's nard, it's spike nard, and it's, it's made of nard, which is from the Himalayas in India. So uh, we know that this is very, very valuable. Uh, All the stories, Matthew, Mark, and John mention how how expensive it is. And what they mention is is that it's worth 300 denarii. denarii. Now, what is a denarius or what a denarii is? What is that? Uh, Well, that's a day's wages. So basically, the ointment inside of this uh, alabaster vial is uh, worth a year's wages. Now, just take a moment and think Think about what your yearly wage is. Think about how much your yearly wage is. Uh, Maybe you make $40,000 a year, maybe make $30,000 a year, maybe you make $80,000 a year. Just think about it in that perspective. It represents a whole year's wages. This could have been the family's uh, savings. It could have been the family's stocks. It could have been the family's most valuable possession. It could have been something that Mary held and she was holding for her wedding day but it was very, very valuable. Now the Bible says, and here's what Mark says, very uh, interesting. That's why I read Mark's version of this. The Bible says that Mark, uh, and Mark's version says that when Mary uh, saw this, uh, Jesus there, and she discerned, she knew this may be the last time she saw Jesus before he went to the cross and he was going to be crucified and then buried. And she took that moment she took that moment. She was very sensitive to the timing. And, she, and the Bible says she broke that alabaster uh, vial. She broke it. Now, alabaster was like very thin marble. So it's something very significant here. When she, when she broke that vial, when she broke it, uh, that meant that she snapped the neck off of it. It had a long, I have a picture of a alabaster um, uh, jar. This is found in Cyprus. And uh, this is made of very thin stone and it had a very narrow neck on it. And so instead of just taking out, it was probably uh, sealed with wax. Instead of just digging out the wax and uh, pouring a little bit on Jesus, she snapped the neck. She snapped the neck. She broke it. So there was no going back. There was no going back. Everything in that alabaster vial was going to be poured on Jesus. She gave everything to Jesus. She was completely, there was no turning back. Once she snapped that neck, she could never put that stuff back in there. She could never seal it because she was fully in and fully committed. And I want you to know that in order to follow Jesus, Christianity only works It only works when Jesus is the, we're fully committed to Jesus. When we're fully committed to Jesus. The Bible says if we place our, uh, put our hand on the plow and we look back, we're not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said to count the cost before we follow Jesus. And one of the things that's happening in modern churches like Bayshore, we're a very, uh, very, uh, very uh, open church to anybody that can come here. People come here with all different beliefs. and, And some people have no beliefs at all. They come to Bayshore. and they sit and listen and they take it in and they process and they're thinking and wondering if what if Jesus is really true they're not they may not even believe everything we believe and so all of our campuses we have people like that and we love that we love that people can come to Bayshore and explore and think about Jesus but let me tell you something it comes a time for every person it comes a time with every person when exploration is over with and you have to make up your mind that you're going to be committed to Jesus because Christianity never works with partial commitment. You've got to snap the neck of the alabaster box. You've got to snap that neck and you've got to say, Jesus, I'm giving everything to you. I'm not holding anything back. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to give myself fully to you. And, you know, the most unhappy person that there, there is in, 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 in any church, the most unhappy person in any church is a person that's just, they take the wax out of the top of the alabaster jar and they just sprinkle a little bit on Jesus. They just give a little bit to Jesus. They just give a little bit of their life. Well, I'm going to go to church a couple times a month and I'm going to kind of like just be part of church just for a little bit. And I'm going to just be partially committed. The Bible says for us to be authentic Christians For us to be authentic Christians, then we have to make up our mind that we're going to make Jesus Lord of our life. It says in Romans chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth, with our mouth, believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead and declare that Jesus is Lord, then we'll be saved. Now, I wonder if a person can authentically be a born again person who really knows Jesus unless they've made Jesus lord of their life. And so when Mary snapped the neck of the alabaster box, she was all in. She was all in. There's people listening online right now. You're all in. You're all in. You love Jesus more than your money. You love Jesus more than your time. You love Jesus more than anything. And you snapped the alabaster box years ago. You said, I'm going to make Jesus lord of my life. You know, when I... Uh, when I go to the beach, and I, I know we're all looking forward to going to the beach this summer, and we're hoping to you know, get out on the beach and socialize again. and we hope all that happens this summer. But when I go to the beach and I get in the ocean, you know, the water's always cold to me. I'm like kind of a cold-natured person, and I don't like uh, to be cold. And so I kind of like, you know walk in it with, up to my ankles a little bit, and then maybe up to my, my calves, and I can feel the, the cold. And then at some point, because it's so cold, I know I'm going to make the plunge. I want to make the plunge. So I'll just kind of like wait for the next wave to kind of come in and the, and the, and the surf to come around me, and then I'll start running, and I'll just dive in. I'll just dive in. And everybody that's a real follower of Jesus, there comes a time when you've been, you've been thinking about Jesus, you've been listening to sermons, you've been listening to Pastor Joel, you've been listening to me, you've been listening to Jeremy, you've been listening to different people, you've been sort of processing, you've been kind of kind of like walking in the surf, but the time comes when you've got to snap the alabaster box le- uh, neck and you've got to dive in fully. And so, it, you know, what happens to many people is sometimes, you know, they, they haven't fully, haven't completely committed themselves to Jesus. This Easter story, this Easter story about Mary anointing the head of Jesus, and it says the feet of Jesus as well, when she did that, she, she, there was no turning back when she snapped that neck. There was no way she was ever going to get that that ointment uh, back in that jar because she snapped the, the neck and she was fully committed to Jesus. You know what happens to some people sometimes? You know, they start following the Lord a little bit and they start serving the Lord and then, they, then something happens, you know, that they don't like in their life and they ask the Lord to take care of that for them. Lord, I, I want you to take care of this for me. I want you to fix this for me. And maybe the Lord doesn't answer their prayer the way they think that Jesus should answer their prayer. And they get bitter. And then they they just start pouring the oil back into the jar and they they begin to backslide and turn away from the Lord and they don't fully follow the Lord because they're not fully committed to him like they need to be. Listen, you know, uh, I want you to know this, that when you begin to follow Jesus and you begin to serve Jesus, sometimes things don't turn out the way you think they should turn out. And I've seen, how many people have I seen that like, you know, they're having trouble in their marriage and they're praying for their, their spouse to come back or they're praying for things to happen. And I, I, I have hundreds of people over the years I've counseled with that situation. And they say, well, I prayed for my spouse and they didn't come back. And I always say, listen, you got that person that you're, that's, that's not being right to you. They have a free will. You're praying. The Holy Spirit's convicting them. But God is not necessarily going to make them do what they're supposed to do. And so some people get bitter and they say, well, I'm not going to, if the Lord didn't answer my prayer, if he didn't give me what I wanted him to give me, I'm not going to follow him anymore. And you haven't snapped the neck of the alabaster box. You haven't fully committed to him. And you've got to follow him regardless. Listen, let me just tell you something. When you become a Christian, Jesus doesn't give you a genie's lamp with unlimited wishes. He doesn't give you a genie's lamp with unlimited wishes. He is the Lord of your life. He's directing your life. He is with you even when things aren't turning out the way you want them to turn out. The Bible says in Philippians chapter four, rejoice in the Lord, And again, I will say rejoice. That scripture recently has become incredibly encouraging to me because I have discovered there's a difference between thanksgiving, thanking the Lord, and rejoicing in the Lord. Thanksgiving is when God's done something for me. He's answered my prayer. He's done something. And I just have some wonderful prayers God has answered. And so I just give thanks for that. But rejoicing, it says in uh, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord... And again, I will say rejoice. Now, what does that mean? It means I'm rejoicing in the Lord, not in my circumstances. I'm rejoicing in the Lord because he's sovereign in my life. He's the king of my life, and I may not like what's going on in my life, but Jesus is Lord of my life, and so I rejoice in the Lord that he's sovereign. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, God is too good to be unkind, too wise to make a mistake. I may not always be able to trace his hand, but I can always trust his heart. So I want you to know that you need to snap the alabaster box neck, and you need to say, Lord, I'm fully in, even when things aren't going the way I want them to go. You're more important to me than anything, and I want you to know that when, when Mary poured that ointment out on the head of Jesus and then on the feet of Jesus, she was saying, Lord, you're more important. You're more important than my resources. Now, here's one of the things that's really uh, on our, everybody's mind right now. Money is on all of our minds. We're thinking about our money. We're thinking about uh, all the stuff going on in our life. Are we gonna have enough money? Are our stocks falling? Are we gonna have enough work? And I'm here to tell you that the Lord is the one that's going to take care of us the Lord's going to take care of us it's not a big pile of money it's not a big pile of money that our security is in but our security is in the Lord the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me restful. He gives me peace. The Lord is my shepherd. And in your home right now, as you're hearing this message, I want you to say, Lord, you're my shepherd. You're going to surround me with provision. So it's not a big pile of money. It's not a big pile of money. She took the most expensive thing that she had. She took all of her wealth and she poured it on Jesus. She poured it on Jesus because Jesus was what she worshipped more than her money. And let me just say something to you. Every time I talk about money in a church and I talk about materialism, I've been preaching for 40-some years now. And let me tell you something. I know every time you mention about materialism, we shouldn't be chasing money Every time I've mentioned it over the last 40 years, people kind of freeze up and they get tense about this. And here's what I'll tell you about money. Uh, God is a God who prospers people. God is a prosperous, prospering God. Abraham was very rich in the Old Testament. Job was very rich in the Old Testament. The man whom Jesus was buried in his tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, was a rich person. Isaiah 53 uh, predicted that Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb. So lots of rich people in, in the Bible. And so God is not against wealth at all. But let me just say this to you. If wealth is your primary goal in life, you cannot be an authentic disciple of Jesus. You cannot be, and I could not be, an authentic disciple of Jesus. You say, Pastor Danny, how can you say that? Well, how about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? He was hungry for Jesus. He was a religious man, studied the Bible, and Jesus said to him, there's one thing you lack. There's one thing that you lack You need to sell everything you have and come and follow me. And the Bible says because he had a lot of wealth, he went away sadly. And then the commentary right after that in the New Testament is Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Very, very important thing I'm going to say right now. Here's what you need to remember. Uh, Wealth and making money, buying properties and investing, we should be smart, wise as serpents, harmless as dove. But wealth, achievement, and making money has to always be our secondary focus and not our primary focus. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So if you're you're chasing money, You're chasing wealth, and this season that we're going through is a testing season about our heart. It's testing our heart to see if our hearts are right because all of a sudden, our pile of money may be getting a little smaller for a while. And so we're worried about that. But let me tell you something. This woman, Mary, she took all of her wealth, and she broke the neck of the alabaster box, and she poured it on the head of Jesus and the feet of Jesus, because Jesus was more important. Jesus was more important than financial assets. And we have lots of people at Bayshore at all our campuses that some people are very successful and doing so well and we're so grateful for that and we love you and care about you and that's an incredible thing. And uh, please hear me correctly, Making money is definitely not a bad thing. God, God has gifted some people to make money. But there is not one person in the kingdom of God that can love money more than Jesus and be an authentic disciple of Jesus. Now you say, did Jesus ever say anything about that? Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He said, you cannot serve both God and mammon or you cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus has to be first. So is our heart being tested during these times? Our heart is certainly being tested. It's certainly being tested. But I'm here to tell you, there is a God who's going to take care of us. There's a God who's going to take care of us. Mary snapped the neck of the alabaster box. She was all in. She was going to serve Jesus no regardless. Even if things weren't turning out good, even if she was going to go through dark times, she was never going to turn back. Let me ask you. Have you put your hand to the plow and are you looking ahead? Have you snapped the neck of the alabaster box? Are you fully following Jesus? Are you seeking Jesus with all your heart? Are you making Jesus more important than wealth accumulation? It has to be. And, and I believe that God is really making sure in these times that our heart is fixed fully on Jesus because the Lord is going to take care of us. So what a party it was. Wouldn't you have loved to have at that party That party put on by Simon the leper, attended by Lazarus, the man raised from the dead, illustrating a woman, a woman who put Jesus first in her life, who made Jesus first in her life. Jesus is Lord of your life. Rejoice in the Lord and I'll say it again, rejoice. There used to be this crazy bumper sticker out. Let me just tell you something. Most times when there's uh, bumper stickers, Christian bumper stickers on cars, and I don't think people do them as much as they used to. Back in the seventies and eighties and nineties, there were bumper stickers on Christian cars everywhere and people still do them. But usually, usually bumper stickers are really poor theology really poor theology. And one of the worst bumper stickers ever was the one that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. I think we got a picture. Jesus is my co-pilot. Let me tell you something. Jesus is my co-pilot is heresy. It's heresy. If Jesus is your co-pilot, you're not really a Christian. Jesus cannot be your co-pilot. Jesus has to be your pilot. Jesus has to be your pilot. He has to be the one that's in charge. And uh, just think about you and Jesus in a car, riding in a car. The question is, who's driving the car? Are you driving the car and just got Jesus along for some help? Or is Jesus driving the car and he's sovereign in your life and you say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure I trust what's happening, but boy, I'm just trusting in you and I believe that you're in charge and Jesus is in charge. Somebody corrected that theology and it says, Jesus is not my co-pilot, Jesus is my pilot. And if Jesus is your pilot, then you are an authentic Christian. You cannot have Jesus along for the ride and be an authentic Christian. Jesus said to that rich young ruler, you gotta, you got you to leave everything. you got to let it all go, and you got to make me first. got to be like Mary who snapped the neck of the uh, alabaster box and poured everything, gave everything to Jesus. You cannot give part of your life to Jesus and be an authentic Christian. Very, very important that we do that. And the Lord's going to take care of us in these times. She took her her most valuable asset, and she gave it to Jesus, and she poured it on Jesus. I remember uh, reading the little daily bread a number of years ago. And uh, you've seen that little booklet has these little stories in it. And when I was first uh, learning to preach, I always read those daily breads because you always had little stories. And one of the stories I read one time was about the uh, city workers in Ontario, Canada. They were, they were cutting the limbs along the trees one spring to trim the trees. And they came to this one limb that had a bird nest in it and had little baby robins in it. And they decided to just mark the limb, not to cut the limb down. They didn't want to kill the little birds, the little baby birds. So they, they, they marked the limb and they came back later. And they came back a few weeks later and the birds were gone. And they cut down the limb and, and the nest fell on the ground. They were digging through the nest and in the nest was a little piece of paper. A little piece of paper that was from a Sunday school circular. And it said, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And the Lord preserved that nest on that foundation. And the Lord is going to preserve you. He's going to preserve me. And we can put him first. We can snap the neck of the uh, alabaster box. And we can pour everything on Jesus and give him first place in our life. And he's going to take care of us. Let's pray together wherever you are in your, in your living rooms. Maybe you're in the kitchen table. Right now, let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we want to thank you for taking care of us. We want to thank you for loving us. I want to thank you for for pouring out your grace on us. And so, Lord, we thank you that this day, this day, on this Sunday, you are with us and you're taking care of us and you're sustaining us. And, Lord, we thank you for this great prelude to Easter story uh, of a party of people changed by Jesus and a woman who gave everything to Jesus. And so today, Lord, wherever we are, we recommit ourselves to make you Lord of our life because you are Lord of our future and you're Lord of our times, in Jesus' name. And let's all say together everywhere over this community, amen and amen. We love you guys and we'll see you next Sunday. Don't forget next Sunday to get your stuff ready for communion. We're gonna be having communion all over this community, all over the Eastern Shore next Sunday. So make sure you get your bread this week and your grape juice and we'll see you next Sunday.